and welcome to episode, God knows, of Two Hacks and One Pro podcast between myself, Dujanand Raja, Will McPherson of the Evening Standard, and Sam Northeast of <laughs> now, yeah. This is actually a first because, well, it feels like a first and that we haven't done one in a while, but I think it's the first one we've done in person. It might well be. We are a product of a pandemic era. Apart from when when this podcast had its previous hat on and we went all the way to Canterbury to interview... Oh, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Freelance yeah. CC. Yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, this could have been dead as that well. That was five one. counties ago, <laughs> <laughs> How time has flown by. Um, Will, firstly, back in the country, how was, how was Australia? Uh, it was good. It's good. It's great to be back. We're in one of my favourite pubs on the planet. I think we might be the only podcast without a beer sponsor. Yes. On the planet. Yeah, yeah. But we're also, how can you claim to get a beer sponsor when you don't actually do any podcasts? When you, you're basically <laughs> not a podcast. We should, given how sporadically we do these, we probably should get a whiskey sponsorship. Yeah. But we're in the Black Prince in Kennington, which is one of my, it's probably my favourite winter pub. My favourite summer pub is the Doghouse Over Road, but this is a this is a densely populated area for good pubs, so it's great to be here, great to be back. It's really cold today. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we're going to have a pretty bleak conversation about English cricket, I suspect. We are. Before we move on to it, though, are you the only Englishman to come over from Australia with any credit? I, I, people have been saying that members of the media were the only people to leave with credit in the bank, but I'm not actually sure any of us did either. I mean, <laughs> we all left in disgrace as well. I think Australia were glad to see the back of us. Uh, and we were actually quite glad to see the back of Australia as well <laughs> by the end of it. It was a pretty long old tour. Uh, Sam, how are you? How's Glamorgan? Yeah, very good. Um, I sort of watched you too blossom over the winter. It's been very nice to see. Um, yeah, it's been fine. You know, usual winter nets and stuff. And... Uh, but yeah, as I say, I've sort of watched a lot of lot of cricket and yeah, looking forward to this chat. Have you done your, um, you know, whenever anyone joins a new county, they have to do that interview where they're sat in the stands yeah. and they record, like Somerset do them a lot. Have you done that? Have you done your Glamorgan like... Arrival or, interview. Yeah, your arrival interview. No, it was, well, I did like an interview on the pitch, but that was about it, about, time, you know, right? about, wow. yeah, about four months ago or something. It feels... Do you say things like, you know, I've always dreamed about playing for... Ro- Robbie Keane. Yeah. Of county cricket. <laughs> I've always dreamed about towing one into the River Taff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> too, yeah. Have you hit one in there before? No, no. Have you played many T20 games there? Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. But they've always had like Sean Tate and like Dale Stain <laughs> rock up and yeah. Right, yeah. So it's more Alex Blake's job. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, right. Vincey's probably hit a few in there as well. He probably has, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, this isn't going to be a nice chat, is it? We're go- we-, we thought we'd do like an Ashes debrief. Without really doing an Ashes debrief, because everyone knows what happened in the Ashes. England lost 4-0 again, yeah. Yeah, um, and there was, you know, a lot's come out in the wash. I think we're going to analyse the wash then, aren't we? Mm. Because I think there were a few things that came out from it that emanated, well, that emanated from it, from culture around the England team, from coaching around the England team, to county cricket, all the usual things. But it feels like this time around, and we'll, you know, you're out there so... You're almost there at the formation of these conversations, but it's a lot of the stuff that we've talked about before, but it feels a little bit more real, certainly a little bit more, there's a little bit more emotional heft behind it. It's interesting, because I think there's more um, mitigation, which I'll come to in a moment, for this defeat than others in recent times in Australia, but I feel like the fallout is far more aggressive this time. 
Uh, I think people are, want more heads to roll. I think people want are talking the, the the bigger picture issues about county cricket and all that stuff. They're more people are more serious about the change that might actually come as a result of this defeat than others. And I don't know quite why that is. I don't know whether it's because England had a they ended 2021 so badly. It was a year they started very well. It was a year that they talked up a lot. This Ashes was a series they talked up a lot. Um, they started the year quite promisingly and it obviously went very badly wrong by the end. So I, I don't know quite why there's so much vitriol at the moment. Uh, because it's been I, coming though, isn't it? I think it's, it's more the, the case of sort of the test performances for the summer and then this build-up and then I think it's like, that's it now. I think yeah. that was it. And it's just been coming and coming and coming, all these conversations. And you've had like little bits in between which have distracted you from it. And then I think, right, this Ashes 4-0, I think that's it. I think fans have sort of said, right, change needs to happen. They, they didn't, I mean, they, they, they literally didn't score 300 runs in an innings. They had 10 <coughs> attempts at that and they failed to do that. They, they failed to reach 200 six times, six times, six yeah. times or something. It, it is incredible how badly they batted in this series. And it's kind of, the reason they batted so badly was because Joe Root, they went into the series with Joe Root as their only batsman and which, which was a risk. Uh, wasn't it? That was a risky strategy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, after putting quite a lot of blood and guts into the first three tests, he fell off a cliff too, as, and he found Scott Boland almost impossible to face. But just to go back on that kind of uh, my view, and I wrote about this last week. It already feels like a lifetime ago. But there were kind of three main reasons for England's defeat. One was uh, the, the mitigating circumstances I mentioned. They the build-up was totally inadequate. Um, they suffered from like the rain in Brisbane prevented them from doing getting any real warm-up cricket in. I would also add that the, the warm-up cricket they scheduled, and this is their own their own fault or their management's fault, was going to be inadequate anyway. So they only got seven sessions of cricket in, but they were only ever going to have seven days, and I none of, I, only four of them were probably going to be first class, but that was never quite clear. Um, that was never going to be enough. Like the teams that win in Australia, or England teams that win in Australia, have uh, you know have had lots of good hard cricket going into it, particularly against Australia A. Um, first class matches, toughening up, getting ready for it, being ready for the Gabba and what they're going to experience there. England patently weren't ready for that, so that's one thing. Second was the kind of wider system. I do think there is a problem there. I don't think. Uh, the English game is producing the players to, to flourish in Australia or India or generally overseas. They can pull off victories like they did in South Africa a couple of years ago. But South Africa were weak at that point. Sri Lanka have been weak a couple of times when they've beaten them. But I don't think the English game is set up to produce uh, big, great away wins at the moment. And then thirdly, they mass the, the, the 18 players that England took on tour, that I think they used 16, they massively underperformed almost to a man but was, uh, Mark Wood is the only one you can genuinely come away and say you have massively advanced your reputation and you were you put in the performance we hoped you put in but were guys who um, so Milan and Root I would say while the series was live um, were in that category I thought Robinson had his moments but as has come out kind of in the wash particularly during the Hobart test um, he's also let himself down on that tour and not been sort of working at the professional level he needs to and then Johnny Bairstow obviously scored 100 in one of his only two tests, but that's about it. Everyone else underperformed, I'd say. Crawley, maybe. He averaged 28 for the series. I thought he played really well if he averaged 28, and that's the problem, isn't it? 
Um, so yeah, the the, prob- the most grievous thing was that the, the players who were selected didn't perform well enough, and you take into account that mitigation and uh, the the kind of counter free conversation, and that's what ends up with four nil or four point nine nil. Yeah, 4.9 they're nil, they're nil, calling yeah. it in Australia. It was very very close to being a whitewash. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, the, the thing I I totally agree with you with I suppose the, the caveats aren't they in a way, but um, I always think with. England plays. England have played a lot of pandemic cricket, and they'll be the first to tell you that. But I think within that, I'm not. I don't know why. A, as you said, they would have scheduled so few days of proper warm up, and B, how are they not divide? It sounds like from what I've heard that even their stuff in the nets, particularly with the bowlers, could have been of a higher standard, or certainly of a higher intensity. Now I don't know why after playing so much pandemic cricket you wouldn't already have that idea in your head. You know, I remember there was an interview in, in March 2020, start of the pandemic, about how, what England were doing to train remotely and stuff like that. And they clearly put so much planning into this and there was a lot of talk which came out, which turned out to be true about how England players are now going to be fitter than ever. I and mean, we probably saw that with Jimmy because I think he was the fastest he was bowling, mm. you know, on average in a, in a calendar year at 38 or whatever. So I, I don't really understand how they haven't learned any lessons from that, but that, that, as you said, is an issue of management rather than, you know, necessarily the players themselves. Um, Sam, what did you think, kind of, watching everything coming from afar, not least, like, we don't need to name names, but certainly certain coaches were coming to the fore and having been involved in the setup. I was always, you know, Rampercash did it on, on BT Sport. We had... Um, Farbrae's doing it at the BBC and a lot of places playing about everywhere, yeah. <laughs> Do you him and Gary Carson are the same agent? <laughs> They're certainly popping up in a lot of places. <laughs> and yeah, I suppose even the Kirsten stuff, you know, Kirsten had something had stuff to say about England players. Is there a little bit well yeah, I mean like, kind of what, what did you think about that, the way that everything's being picked apart? Yeah, I mean, you have to sort of to sort of go back to Will's first point. I mean, this preparation was the probably the toughest, probably in the toughest situation any touring side has gone over with. COVID and you've had like a World Cup just before that um, and so yeah I mean they're just put in a horrible position I don't I don't quite know what the Lions situation was I mean I to get your thoughts on well the Lions were a problem because they, it was a great idea to have them over there with them but when the rain came they barely knew what to do with 18 players let alone another 16 or 18 who they had with them so the Lions I think felt like spare parts, they didn't know what to do. They played one 11 aside proper first class game against uh, Australia A and got quite well beaten. All, um, of, all of them who'd been like, rare, you know, basically at full tilt in the Shield as well. Yeah, and, but, all, but also those, those, you know, the Lions could only pick 11 for that game. Yeah. I think best played, so they could only pick 10 Lions. So that means six other guys were just knocking around. People sort of picked up on that, but two of them were the the two leggies who are, people are quite particularly Parkinson people are really excited about um, and they were just kind of kicking their heels while this game went so they went to Australia for about six weeks and basically didn't square root fuck all um, and, and you know they became a problem because they were almost like baggage I think for, for the main squad they didn't they didn't have much use for them um, so that was difficult and it was a nice idea I suppose but I reckon that idea of preparation internally Australia did it to good effect in 2019 in England, mm. um, but I don't see that happening again. I think we'll go back to teams playing against each other uh, in proper fixtures against local tip players, but 
we'll see. Sorry, I interrupted you there, Sam. We're talking about lines. Yeah, well, I just it was interesting the fact that they were out there. But I mean, sort of the preparation looked poor from from where I was. And someone like Rory, um, he's got a load of moving parts. He sort of needs a bit of time, a bit of middle time. And actually, when he got sort of left out, I thought he was actually playing his probably his best cricket. And he just looked, they just looked sort of just horribly under sort of prepared and. And they, they started playing better cricket by the end, but it was sort of it was gone in the last test. It just didn't really happen for them. Proper end of term feel to that one, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. It was like it was like a championship match at the end of the season. Actually, yes. Where things yeah. are kind yeah. of just you, two, like a dead rubber almost between two teams. You've got nothing to whether in Division One or Division Two, where team who can't achieve anything at the end of the season, and it was like a bit of fun. Late, late on day three, thinking. Do we need to come back tomorrow? Yeah, are we going to come back tomorrow? And Mateo had made their decision. Um, <laughs> they weren't coming back tomorrow. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I looked at that tail. Uh, again, a lot of focus was put on the way... The, I mean, the final wicket where Ollie Robinson is stepping away to Pat He's Cummins. Pat Cummins, by the way, who was backing away to Mark Wood only a few hours earlier. So it's not like England were the only team yeah. backing away to really nasty pace. But it looked to me like that was some bowlers who were quite fed up with their batters, but I, I don't know the dynamics of uh, a cricket changing room as well as Sam might, but that's what it looked like to me, and I know there was a little bit of uh, niggle between uh, batters and bowlers from about the end of the Adelaide test through to the end. Um, <laughs> but there's this, like, we sort of go back now to sort of like the bowlers just saying, I just want you to sort of bat, and I just want you to bat for as long as you can, don't really care about how many runs you score. And we're sort of going back to that, the summer where that was sort of implemented, weren't we? And then you got the other sort of just side of things where you've got to be proactive in Australia and you've got to score runs and come at them. So mm. they're sort of a bit stuck. I think this batting line has sort of been told two things. It's like, well, actually, just occupy the crease and just you know give your bowlers a bit of time off off their feet. And then you just got actually you've got to score some runs. You know, you've got to go and be pretty proactive. And then so they're like, well, what do I do? Do I stick or twist? And I think sometimes. You sort of got to play at your tempo at times like that. You just got to go. What works for you? What scored you all those county runs and make that work? As much as like a, a team theory, you go. Oh, we're going to go and attack them. Sometimes you just got to go. I'm going to do what sort of I know and I know how to score runs and I know how to do it in the best way I can. Do you think there was a bit with this England team of being coached out of what worked for them? Obviously, we mean specifically the players who've come in over the last three years, because you know. There were conversations being had about off-stump guards and this, that and the other. And you will obviously know the, the technical side of that and why people do it. But I think, or rather how people do it, I suppose from the outside, the question is always why? Like, is it making you a better player? If not, why are you still doing that? And someone like Ollie Pope is, you know, well, you've seen him tour a shitload of runs. You know, a, a guy who was legitimately breaking records at county level. Uh, Only a few months ago he's doing that as well. Yeah, yeah, on the closest... You know, all, all the talk about county pitches, <laughs> the Oval is a county, is the test standard pitch, really, even at county level. Um, did you see that with Pope and the whole squad, that it was, not whole squad, but the, the newer players, that it was, they were almost out of sync with what actually worked for them then? Not necessarily, but they come, this comes back to like, does county cricket make you good enough to perform at test cricket? And that's the sort of conversation I guess we've got to have. I mean, these guys are probably going in going, oh, I can just play, play at my tempo, I go play how I play. And then they go, actually, I can't at this level. And then now is that a reason? You now, are we playing tough enough cricket? Is it, you know, is the ball doing too much, etc.? All these things, you know, all these techniques, they go, well, this might work in county cricket, but it doesn't work, you know, against 90 mile an hour on Australian pitches. 
then that comes back to a bit of preparation and going like, well, actually, yeah, everyone knows that you're not, you can't prepare exactly the same as you would. You're gonna have, if you're going to Indy, you wouldn't prepare exactly the same. You're going to need a bit of time to sort of change your game, alter it to Australian conditions or whatever. But I think in general, there's been a lot of technique changes which have started to work for county cricket, which I think then when you go up to the next level, they don't quite work. Is that it then? They've, so what are those changes that kind of Well, I think well, the off-stop guards, I think a lot of people... Because of are, the pitches? Though. Yeah, because of the pitches. Because also, so people are bowling a little bit wider in the sort of wobble seam. And people are sort of trying to get over to off-stump to try and sometimes get outside the line, get out of the crease. Because it's just doing so much. And a lot of people are opening up and just going... Because everyone's bowling straight. So you've got these sort of open guards. And everyone's pretty chest on. Because they're just looking for that ball pretty straight, and then suddenly you've got a ball swinging away at 90 mile an hour, and then they're snicking off. You, there's a lot which you do in county cricket, which um, just to, just to survive in that scenario. And when I have to just talk to a few batters in Australia, and they go, "Well, I've got two different techniques now. I've got one for county cricket, I've got one for international cricket," and you just go, well, that, "That shouldn't be right." Yeah, that's what. Do you remember um, when Stokes and Butler went out? NASA during the Lords Test last mm. summer, when they were talking, they were analysing, you know, the stream footage about guards and this, you know, what what are they doing with this off-stump guard? And I think Butler, quote, they both quote retweeted it. Butler said something about, um, you know, the the pitches and the bowlers. You know, you're gonna move over to that side. Pretty much more or less what you said. And then Stokes took. A different tact was like, have you seen some of the decisions? Well, I was going to say, DRS exists in in Test cricket and it doesn't in County cricket. So if you get over onto off stump, you're high. It would strike me you're highly unlikely to be given out LBW by a County umpire. Whereas, so that's another strategy to take a dismissal out of. You know, the the finger is not going to go up even if actually somehow you've managed to get yourself in a tangle. So I think that's a good point. I think the thing about County, the conversation about County batting and. Joe Root thinks this. I, I, I'm pretty sure Darwin Milan thinks this. He's not somebody who plays much county cricket anymore, but he feels that uh, about one game is the right amount of time to prepare for going back into test cricket, in, in county cricket, genuinely, because that is enough time to feel bat on ball and to get some rhythm. Assuming you have you know two relatively significant innings, say you get 40-odd in both innings, you've batted for a while, but it's not long enough for... Uh, the, the, the bowlers who bowl at you in county cricket to, to mangle you away from what you're going to get they, get yeah, set down in test right, cricket do you see right, what I mean yeah. so Root um, Root that was the root of Root's comments at the end of the Hobart test where he was pretty scathing he said uh, players are um, anyone who succeeds and basically he's the last one and he debuted 10 years ago now are doing it in spite of uh, county cricket not because of it I the, the interesting thing about that is that if you look at Sibley, who's now out of the side, Pope, who I'm pretty sure is going to be out of the side for a little while now, and Crawley, who's back in the side but has spent time out of the side, he's had a year when he's averaged under 11 in Test cricket. Um, all of them, at the end of their first summer in Test cricket, and admittedly there wasn't, um, so say about 10 tests in, the first full summer, there wasn't an India tour, there wasn't Australia tour, all that kind of stuff, but they did play, face some handy attacks from West Indies, Africa and um, New Zealand and Pakistan as well, all of them were averaging upwards of 40 in Test cricket at the end of their first summers, and then I guess the analysts come into their own and they start picking away, but it's not like players don't can't come into Test cricket and have an immediate impact, or at least 
an impact in their first yeah, 10 games. Yeah. It's actually that 10 to 30 game period or 10 to 25, I suppose, when you're talking about those players that are proving difficult, I think, that their performances are massively falling away. And there's two things you can say there. One is the one I've just said, that analysts, uh, TV doesn't yeah. help now, yeah. but TV, uh, Sky, for instance, are impeccable at picking apart players' techniques. and Sky, saving English cricket <laughs> with their money, but destroying, destroying the Destroying the, destroying <laughs> the players, yeah. And, and so opposition teams see that. They've also got their own analysts. And secondly, what does it say about the coaching of the England team that players are not kicking on from those really good starts in the t- or pretty solid starts in the test side? I don't know, but I do think um, there will be a changing of a guard in terms of coaching generally, but I expect... Uh, Graham Fork would go now, no, not because he likes cigars inside hotels, but that is certainly gonna. Uh, that might be a catalyst uh, for his um, for him moving on. I think. I think his race is run with England. He he's someone who people people are going to look at this Ashes series and go, "Oh, Graham Fork's a useless batting coach." I don't think that's true at all. I think he's played an enormous role in the development of a generation of batters. Um, Mainly, who've had success in white ball cricket, so Roy, uh, people like that, I think would credit Falk with quite a lot. Uh, but Root as well, and he's obviously a, you know, he's a test, he's, he's possibly our best ever test batter. So Falk is not useless, but I do think his his race is run, and it's time for a fresh voice with these guys. They did some pretty strange things during the Ashes. I, I know the, the, the one-legged batting thing. Oh, was, that, was seems like, upon. that seems like years ago. Yeah, that was before the Melbourne test, I reckon. When Burns, been, Burns, Burns, was, Burns was being in the process of being dropped, yeah. but was batting, they were doing that. To, I don't quite know. I think actually that was Ant Butter, who is really highly rated by the England well, by England players I've spoken to, really rate him as a kind of all-round coach. And he's a, he's famously good with a dog stick. And you would have worked with him at Knox? Yes, I was going, that's definitely uh, Ann Bota. I didn't quite say it the same as you, Ann Bota. Uh, <laughs> but I'm trying um, to be respectful. Yeah, so no, absolutely. Yeah, it was one of these things. And like, sort of him so did you do that with him? I, I did, but I can't really remember why he got me to do it. What was it what's it for? What does it do? I, but that's what I'm trying to say. I don't quite... Sort of. Right. Did um, did did you find it helped at all? Was it, it was not really more... for you? Obviously, not every drill is for everyone, and it is yeah. only a drill. It's not. They were They didn't go out of the MCG and start batting on one leg. Yeah. It's not a change of technique. It's yeah. a drill. It seemed Some like funny it... tweets about that, though, not <laughs> <laughs> It seemed. It seemed like it would be the worst drill for someone like Rory Burns, though. It just didn't sort of look like it would fit into his sort of style of play. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Ant both is very good, but I think he's also a product of Peter Moores, who's very, very good, um, and probably you know the best county coach out there. But I just want to go back to county cricket. Like I think these last two years as well have been probably the worst I've had as well. Yeah, and <laughs> Cook, like... Cook says they're the worst, and Cook is, you know, uh, he is a real authority on mat- all matters batting. He said that test cricket in those final few years that was the hardest he'd experienced in terms of pitches, which is the era when we couldn't find an opening partner for him. And then he also has a you know, his county average last couple of years is is pretty ordinary. He has kind of big, well, he had a good 2020, didn't he? He was involved in his trophy. But in 2021, I think 2019, his first year back in county cricket, yeah, he's, pretty, he's not... I think that's, up, that, that, the conference sort of set up last year was just, it just made everything result-orientated. You know, you, so you had to win every sort of game. It was like, you, you should have drew a game. You know, I gotta, we got to win the next one to get into Div 1. And then 
when you're in Div One, it's like, well, someone else won. So we've got to, if we want to win this thing, we've got to produce a result. And the pitches by the end were just a disgrace. And, and that's not down to groundsmen some of the time. Some of the times it's you know coaches and directors of cricket who have to just yeah. and captains who just go, well, we've got to, if we want to win this thing, we've got to. And that's a result of the tournament as well. But then you've got people who aren't judging pitches correctly. So you need somebody who's going to come in and just say, that's not outstanding you're going to get deducted points yeah because that was obviously one of the conversations the pitches are a really hot topic the ball is obviously a topic as well but your time in county cricket you talked to someone like Rob Key who you obviously also have the misfortune of having to talk to him <laughs> quite a lot but he would say that he played in two eras and I think he's correct about this he you know the first from about 2000 till about maybe 2008 9 10 uh, pitches were pretty good and England were producing players who would come in and score 100 on their debut whether that's Pryor or yeah. Strauss Cook all those kind of players and then Trot to a degree yeah Trot did it um, and Bell and Peterson obviously got yeah. half centuries uh, then since in, he, I think he retired in 2015 so those last five, six, seven years pitches were really poor uh, and he's obviously really vocal about it he has been for a long time do you think you've your whole career has been played in this era when Pitches have been really pretty average. Um, it's gone through periods, I think. And like there was one, there was one period where I sort of agreed with Ports and just thought it must have been the ball. And then they reduced the scene. Was it three years yeah. ago? Yeah. So do you remember this? Um, so in 2019 they reduced the seam and England ordered some 2018 balls for the Ashes. Yes. yes. Yeah. Do you remember that? Because because they they yeah. were like, you know the seam's a bit more prominent. It does a bit more. Yeah. That went well. But the yeah the so the did you did you find that the ball because anecdotally it would appear that the ball being reduced it hasn't made that much difference because it still with you know medium paces is still thriving I suppose but well I I thought it made a big difference was it was it three years ago I thought it was that made a difference it felt better um, and also you didn't have the conference system and all that. Um, but I mean I know Keezy's point he thinks it's the drainage and that yeah. it's just got sort of worse and that actually the pitch itself isn't very good and that you have to leave loads of grass in it to have carry and stuff like that. I do think that there is a big difference between the test grounds in general and the facilities and the pitches they can make compared to everyone else. And I think that's, you know, and everyone says, oh, you, everyone comes from, you know, the Surreys and Warwickshires and everything. That I think that's generally just because they play on a better surface and they get to learn how to play and to bat long periods of time whereas you go to other venues and it's not brilliant and it doesn't matter what ball you've got but I sort of I was playing Div 1 that year and it definitely felt actually I was like this is this is getting better um, and there's been loads of Chelsea the Cookborough ball but I felt that was a in general I think people think the Dukes ball is just a better ball yeah I know Australia obviously went to Dukes balls for a bit and then everyone started averaging 20 and they were like well this is rubbish this is definitely not going to happen <laughs> yeah. we know so then they went back to their, oh, but they've been through it. You know, they're going, why, why can't we play the moving board in England? And they try and change things. Actually, they go back to what, you know, going back to flat pitches. And obviously New Zealand have done that with some success and they produce good fast bowlers and spinners and good batsmen. Yeah. But Kookaburra ball, the talk is, I think that it would just become enormous in English conditions, right? That it would, it would just kind of swell and not, it, it would, when it gets wet or, or whatever, it just kind of grows. So... I suppose because easier of, to hit, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Seeing it like a big kookaburra ball, <laughs> um, but I, I suppose the kookaburra ball is an Australian ball that is designed to be used in Australian-like conditions and hot places. And because even even flip side was using using the tra traditional dukes, 
in Australia wouldn't work because it would be yeah, stuffed to fucking. Yeah, and like in, the, in West Indies, so when England go to West Indies in in a month's time, which we're obviously going to have to talk about on this pod, they will play with Duke's ball, but it will be an adapted Duke's ball for those conditions. So yeah. it's not like the one we use here. Um, but it, it, it's fascinating because also it, the other thing about England's batting, the link to England's batting and county cricket is that actually England's batting, England have tried everything. It's not, yeah. they, it's not one thing yeah. that is failing. They've tried guys with brilliant county records and quirky techniques. So I'm looking. So kind of what you're saying about guys who developed county techniques to thrive at that level. So I'm saying Burns and Sibley there. They've got good records. Even I, I know he's not traditionally, or rather, I know he's not, um, you know, untraditional to look at when he bats. But even Stoneman was a little bit like that, wasn't it? Yeah, he's sort of probably adapted. He's got. It's a bit more orthodox, but he's adapted yeah. his own game. And you know, Dan Lawrence is is kind of a. He's got quite a unique technique. Um, and then you've got guys who've churned runs at county level. Ollie, Ollie Pope um, has got you know an undeniable. If, if you were if you were going down can, county averages, Ollie, Ollie, you would never even think about leaving Ollie Pope out of the England side. I think he's going to be left out for a bit now. And then you've got someone like Zach Crawley, who is essentially a, an educated guess. He, he passes the eye test. He looks great, um, but he hasn't got. He's only got five first class hundreds. One of which was. Um, 267 for England yeah. so um, he, he doesn't have a record to back up his selection at all but he, he looks good so there's, there's no you can't I, I don't think we can kind of look at it in a one size fits all way because they have tried everything and everything hasn't worked so I don't know and I, I don't know where you go from there I say that I've tried everything Pre- present company accepted yeah <laughs> um, but yeah I, I don't know I don't know what the answer is coaching has to come into it to a degree because it feels like player score runs you know whether that's on your on your traditional um, test match grounds or, or elsewhere but they basically earn the right to an England call up they get that England call up and surely the next step whether it is as you say the result of opposition analysts between those you know test number 10 and test number 20 or 25 if you're lucky to get there but surely then that is on the coach to to teach you about how you how you make it to test 30 you know yeah and sorry just to butt in before Sam answers Graham Thorpe literally should be no one better at telling English players how to do that he played 100 tests he scored runs all around the world he was nuggety he maybe made slightly more of his talent you know in terms of technique than um than he he could have done. And well, even, even I know he's not expressly batting coach, but even someone like Paul Collingwood, yeah, Collingwood yeah. exactly, yeah. Um, so they, they should be well set up to do that, but it hasn't worked. But is that is that just because of what Will said there? Is that a framing from people who haven't played the game in terms of surely it should be easy to make that next step? Surely, or is it similar to saying like a midfielder who? does really well in the championship should do really really well in the Premier League. Just play it that little bit earlier, but obviously all the factors around you are slightly different. Well, it's, it's very hard to know what exactly the coaching is in England. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of like this one size fits all. So it looked like everyone went over to off stump for a bit, apart from Joe Root, who's probably the best player. 
and then you just go, well, that doesn't really work either. So you just say everyone has a game plan, but people do sort of copy other batsmen in general. You know, obviously you've got Steve Smith and Marnus who are over to our stump yeah. and stuff like that. So Williamson and Williamson. Mm. So it works for obviously some people. So it's hard to say that it's not going to, but for everyone to do, I don't think that's necessarily right. Um, it's a really sort of tough place for coaches at the moment. Um, because you've got the T20 side of things at, at times, so you've got to go, right, so we, everyone wants to play T20, you know, and you know, I think actually we're sort of potentially losing a lot of our talent there at the moment. You see a lot of people doing very well in T20 competitions and you're just going, well, why can't we have someone like Joe Clark or whoever, you know, being around that test side? Um, and then you just go, well, is, oh, actually, are the, sort of county techniques sort of ready for test cricket? And you go, well, then it's the, sort of the situation where ECB have got to make sure. So, what's the Lions program like? You know, are these batting coaches getting enough time with the players who they think are the next step? I think Strauss was sort of ahead. He just goes, actually, I don't think this, in the way he put the North South together, he just goes, well, actually, I don't think county cricket's doing enough for us to win the sort of the World Cup. So, he's going, oh, we're going to have a North South, we're going to try and do all that. You know, where's Loughborough gone? You know, are these coaches getting enough time with these people? It's very hard for me to sit here and go, they're doing this wrong. They're doing that wrong. I'm not there. I'm not in Australia. But you've you've been in the Lions setup. But you've been in those training sessions. You were out in Australia for the tour that was supposed to be the one that won this one. Mm. Yeah. Um, they didn't pick any of them. But they picked one. They Ollie, didn't they? No, Pope wasn't on that tour, was he? No, Ollie Robinson. Oh, Ollie Robinson. Yeah. He was, yeah, he's the one. But uh, Crawley didn't make any runs on that tour, I think. No, Sibley made a big country. Sibley made a big country. Lawrence made a big country. They didn't yeah. pick that, yeah. which, you know. But like, so what happens in that time? You know, do you do you go there and just have your hit, and they're like, brilliant. You know, that's your time. Or do they look to be like, you know what? For the next level, you might need to do this a bit differently. Or is that are they overstepping by doing that? Well, that's the thing is, that, and this comes back to sort of, I think a few people in the media have been saying that, that like coaches now just to sort of good shot coaches, basically, basically. yeah. And you just go. Who, who said that again? Was that yours? Well, no, it wasn't. But that's that's the understanding of the culture. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and I think Paul Fargrace raised it uh, and said they're good shot coach. You know, but I think there would also be people. You know, I speak candidly here. There would also be people who would level that accusation at him from his time with England that he has fallen into that trap as well. I'm not saying he's always like that. He's not a coach at the moment, but. That that is the general belief that generally coaches give throwdowns and they say good shot, mate. And is that something you've experienced? You see, I think I, I, in general, I think probably players at county level and uh, England they want more. You know, they want more feedback. And I know there's a lot of sort of. Um, so, they, so, they, so they're not. Yeah, so they're, they're not getting enough not coaching. Getting it was out, I'd say, and they need help. You know, on these pitches, they want help and they want some answers. You know, and that's why these other, these technical changes come at times because no one's actually telling them, and they're just going, "Well, I might change." I see what Steve Smith's doing and Marnus, and then when you're struggling, you're like, "I just need some answers." Here. I don't quite understand it, and I think a lot of players want more of that. But then there has been criticism of the past if there's been some players who've gone to ECB and then come back a completely different player and then they've just blown their careers you know mm. and then I think that's where it gets a little bit of a you know you need that communication and feedback to counties and to work together but I always say I know I always felt that if I was ever going to play for England I would have liked a little bit more time with like a batting coach there or a bit more time around just to see like you know, is my game like at the moment going to be see, ready? You mean with someone, someone affiliated to the international side? Yeah, rather than being like, you're going to get called up and in you're you go. On Thursday. Yeah, you yeah, just yeah. go. Well, I want to build a bit of a. But that makes a lot of sense. Why wouldn't they do that? Like, yeah. why, why wouldn't you just? It's so much better than rocking up to a game on 
you know, rocking up to day two of a game because you know, like someone you're scouting is going to bat, and watching them at New Road, whatever, mm. and seeing them get pinned by Ed Barnard. A good, a good bowler. I should have picked a different bowler. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like, rather than doing it by chance, why don't you just spend a couple of hours with them, call them up to Loughborough, and be like, look, we just want to look and see how you're going. Because at the very least, they'll leave thinking, fuck, I, I'm going to... That was really cool. Even if it's just that for... Never got to, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to focus on... It's almost like passing a, an exam to, to, to get into... I know that sounds silly, but like going and having... A little session and yeah. talking to them and make you know the coach comes away with a sense of whether they are going to make that step easily or it's going to be very difficult or they're going to need way more coaching or they're not going to need any coaching that is quite a good idea they might say they do that but i don't think they do because the, the irony is that they end up having these conversations and like all three of us around this table have been privy to different kind of conversation with coaches and or people affiliated with selection where we leave thinking what the fuck are they talking about? And obviously it only affects one of us in their career, you know, so, but surely I feel like that's so much, to be fair, it wasn't an idea I had coming into this, but that feels like a really good idea of at least ensuring that people are ticking over without having to put it solely on them and actually do some coaching. Yeah, I mean, every, every batter or probably specifically batters, maybe keepers, not so much bowlers, I would guess, but would have a coach who is like their go-to, so like you're... You know, I don't think you'd mind me saying, but you're not necessarily working with Glamorgan coaches at the moment. You've got a bit going on, so you're back in Kent, and um, you're working with your own coach. I wrote at the end of the Ashes that Ollie Pope gave genuine consideration to flying Vikram Solanke out to Australia off his own, with his own money to coach him during the Ashes. Even given like the awkwardness of, of everything around that, right down to like where he would throw you balls. Yeah. You know... But he wanted. But the fact that he came. That, he I'm pretty that. sure that yeah. Peter Moores was working with the for me during that series, to, and that all the while they were also working with the England coaches. So it is a tricky balance. Obviously, Gary Palmer has been someone who has had quite a lot of influence in English batting in recent years, working with specific players um, on, a, Stewart, on, on a private basis. Neil Stewart, Roy yeah. Burns went and rebuilt himself. So it is difficult because you've got your your guy. And then you go into the England environment, but you're right. But I think that that kind of working together with with England coaches, just spreading the pathway a little bit more, uh, spreading the net wider into the pathway, if you like, would would make more sense. I also think you, you'd end up it would end up having a knock on effect in terms of what they might perceive as good habits for Test cricket. For example, if you go if you go and do this thing, say you spend a couple of hours with with whoever it is, come back. And you start to do well, brilliant. But also, like, you might have a conversation with Kieran, excuse me, Kieran Carson, for example. He's like, oh, "What did they say to you?" And they're like, "Well, they noticed this, and they've started, you know, they've recommended that I do this a bit more." Then he's going to naturally think, "Oh, that's actually quite a good idea," without necessarily being a copycat. But just start having him thinking about his game in that way. And obviously, you'll be willing to pass on that information, whatever. But yeah, it just feels like a better way to get more people on the same page without having to you know, have these widespread holistic changes. And the T20 conversation that Sam mentioned there about the players who are playing T20 around the world at the moment, and, you know, that is... We, we could talk about English test batting being in crisis. English T20 batting is, is thriving. Like, they, they are now the most... They, they've dominated the Big Bash. They're now going to... They're all just popping on a plane. They're going to dominate the PSL. And actually, it's an even wider net of the PSL. There's more players going. Mm. Um, that is... I still don't. I still don't find young players who want to be 
T20 players ahead of test cricketers, but they are finding that there's only ever 11 guys in the test side and there are loads of opportunities around the world and they all want to earn um, the money that they can. Um, so guys are doing that. But also it feels like there are more... Like, the money is definitely a factor and you know I'm not going to complain about that for a second, but it does feel like more people are willing to teach them how to be those types of players. And you yeah. go to these different situations, you go to the PSL and they take you to one side and like, right, do you want to get really good? Yeah. Here's how you get really good and we're going to work on that. And that's, I suppose, where a good shot back yourself coaching comes into its own, doesn't it? Because, you know, the, those, those, the, the disciplines required across 120 balls where maybe you face an ma- absolute maximum of 70 is, um, you know, there's, while they've got so many shots, these guys, there's actually fewer shots required to really thrive, I suppose. And, yeah, right. uh, and the discipline is... is less that's required obviously t20 i don't want to denigrate t20 batting because it's obviously an incredibly skilled so it is it is an art form i suppose but um it's it's an easy i'm sure it's an easier thing to coach like coaching hitting the ball hard rather than discipline um yeah i think so i mean there's obviously there's a few more sort of those t20 you know big base and stuff you know, type of T20 coaches coming into it. They call it power hitting now. <laughs> um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'll write that down. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I think it potentially is, but it's, I think it's sort of easier to train, you mm. know, at times. You know, just go out and, and put it on and strike some balls and do that and play all these funky shots. You know, it's sort of easier. It's more fun to train sometimes in terms of like the technical and really getting down to the nitty gritty of things is could be quite tough and coaches don't necessarily want to get involved with changing too much with it. They're quite happy to go in and sort of say, all right, should we go and just smack some balls, I guess. And also, I suppose, each T20 innings, while these leagues are high stakes, that the, the consequences are lower for a couple of failures. You know, you, if you're trying something new, you can get away with it, whereas you, you can't in a test match. And if you do it in county cricket, if you're trying something new in county cricket and you fail a couple of times, and you're going, you're gunning for a test spot. You probably won't get it. You yeah. probably won't get that spot because you failed a couple of times. The other thing to just add about T Twenty and this whole debate is it does feed into the pitches debate as well, and the hundred does as well. And I know there's a lot of people who'd say, "Well, the hundred's brand new. Um, it you know it hasn't ha- it hasn't yet had an impact on um, English batting." And I, I I do agree with that, but I think it it has put more pressure on the squares at yeah. Uh, yeah. The amount of Especially white ball cricket we're using the middle played, of the squares, middle of squares, yeah. TV pitches. The amount of white ball cricket that's played provides means that groundsmen are working round the clock to get. You know, they've got games every week. There's no fallow periods in the season really. Uh, pitch preparation again to go back to a key point. Point he thinks the pitches are at their best in April actually, although conditions are poor. And they're fresh. Uh, pitch, pitches are good because they're fresh and there's you, counties are only playing. They'll play a game at home, a game away, a game at home. So each pitch has 10 days to be prepared between games. Whereas in the height of summer, pitches actually get worse because there's so much cricket going on that they can't be accessed. And so that is a consequence of the amount of white ball cricket. I think fundamentally at every level, one of the lessons of this, um, the last year in English cricket, and I don't just want to put it on the ashes, but one of the lessons is less is more. Whether that's at test level, in well, the international team have been flogged uh, as people, and I know that they're, you know, Ashley Giles and 
Chris Silverwood are rightly they rightly point to that regularly as kind of a point of mitigation. They are correct. It doesn't it you, you can't use it so much that it becomes an excuse, but it is mitigation. Um, the the the, <laughs> the the white ball team are two get already to, when we record this two games into a, a game in the Windies and the Ashes only was meant was scheduled to finish a week ago. Like it's <laughs> it, it's mad. Yeah. Um, and then same at county level. I think less is more. I know there's such a fine line to be struck between balancing the books um, and playing the amount of cricket that allows guys to develop. But I think, yeah, probably every competition in county cricket, there are a few too many games, and I would like to see that addressed. We should talk, before we go, about something that came up um, at the end of the series, and always comes up at the end of the series where England do badly, and never when they do well. And it's, it wasn't expressly just this, but it's something that's always mentioned, booze. Mm. Was this a boozy tour, Will McPherson? The will, or well, personally and professionally, yeah. um, I I think um, I do think that English cricket has an in, ingrained culture of boozing in it, right? I, I think that is true. Do you say do you, English culture? Full stop. Well, English cricket culture, but, but English culture is wider, stop, yeah. Yeah, wider, yeah, a reflection of wider society. I and I do think we were at the end of this tour, which is the reason why this came up. Thorpe has obviously cocked up, and I'm sure he would admit that now. Um, and that stuff has come to light of the police being involved. That, to me, you know, what happened that night, being up until 6am with the opposition, um, like boozing, is absolutely no problem, especially yeah. given it was a day-night game. They didn't leave the ground till 1 o'clock or whatever. Um, it's not like this was some kind of mega session. You could see from, you could see from the video footage that it was pretty tame stuff. I also didn't see, and I was I wasn't at the first test because of border restrictions. But I was at the next every day of the next four, and um, I did not see personally, and you know I was obviously involved with the team and around them a bit. Didn't see a culture of boozing personally. I do also think, and I don't think much was going on in that time while the series was on. I do also think that before the series started, there was probably quite a lot of boozing going on among the players. And yeah. that's partly because, and I wasn't in Brisbane, but just from kind of what I hear, I think that's partly because people were bored and they had nothing to do because it was raining. Um, so I don't, I don't think this was like, I don't think it was loads of outrageous behaviour on this tour regarding boozing. I don't think they, I doubt they boozed more than their opponents. Yeah, and if it also feels like, you know, we, we were in South Africa pre, the last series pre-pandemic, and it was probably kind of a, decent amount of socialising there all the way through the tour yeah, it wasn't, yeah. wasn't particularly outlandish I suppose a lot of things people point to seem to be the, the level of fitness which I think that might be a different story though but, but, but I think it, it's, it kind of leads into the same thing yeah it's so one of the same in that I think I think the pandemic has been bad for cricketers fitness in international cricketers fitness because they spent a lot of time in hotel rooms yeah without yeah. much to do and they spent a lot of time isolating um so I think uh, whether they're eating or drinking too much in that time without kind of regulation of seeing their colleagues each and every day. Well, even um, little things like not being able to train every day, if that's what they do, like even if like going for a run, but also, you know, certainly we found that we normal people found it during the start of the pandemic. Mm. You're not actually commuting or walking anywhere. 
Yeah. Just you would have also hoped that by the end of the tour that might have been able to have been addressed and that players would be at a, a better level of fitness than they yeah. were at the start. And I'm not 100% sure that's true. But, yeah, I, I don't think... I don't think it's necessarily the, the boozing and the lack of fitness are, are necessarily one and the same. Did you feel, Sam, did you feel like it, um, there were almost, whenever a tour goes awry, there were always checkpoints on there? And county cricket's quite hard on this, but mm. booze is always on there. Booze is there as well, yeah. So were you like, did you... Were you like, Just oh, yeah, do it by was, numbers now. Yeah, Just exactly. Know yeah. what's coming. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the, sort of the sort of, I guess, the booze up at the end sort of was a bit of a non-story in some ways, but it didn't. It just made it look bad, and it raises the question, I guess. But maybe they should have had more nights out. You know, it's always the sort of thing at the end of end of a county season when I come. You go, oh, well, you know, guys, what do you think? You know, why do we go wrong? Oh, we didn't have enough team nights out. You know, so maybe they should have. You know? Was that for like camaraderie or just like letting off steam? Because by the end of it, right? Because yeah. by the end of it, I was like, honestly, just go for a piss up. What does it matter now? Mm. Like. Just let off, let go of some steam. Yeah. yeah, I mean they must have all been frustrated, you know, spe- Rue especially, I imagine. And yeah, it just it didn't seem like a story which was worth sort of much time as it got probably at the end. But you, then you do raise the question of what it was like during the actual series. But yeah, I think also on just to to kind of pivot again a little bit on the the less is more point I was making. The, the maddest no, the maddest thing. <laughs> that's a good point. The maddest thing about this whole thing is that England are going to have to name a squad for another series in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And so we're all, before county cricket gets another go, before county cricket gets an opportunity to prove all of us who say that it's not quite right, wrong, England will play three more test matches, <laughs> probably with some quite different with some different players, but who's going to pick those different players? And what basis are they going to pick them on? Who? So who's doing the picking? That's well, point, yeah. head coach and selectors in the gun. We're going to have an interim selector, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. the James way Taylor's it's set up. Well, you're going to be interim head coach and maybe they'll be given the power of selection as well. It's just absolute carnage. I do expect there to be some changes, but I don't know I don't know the way the schedule's set up. I don't really see how you can make the wholesale changes that, Pete, that there's real appetite for. At this at this stage, it's a quite incredible situation, a tangle that English England's got themselves in. And I West remember. Sorry, I was saying West Indies just is probably the toughest place as a batter that I've been to. You know, including really? Sri Lanka, India, just because the pitches <laughs> go back to pitches all the time. <laughs> but it, they're like up and down, and they're just like too paced, and they're just they just don't have any consistency. Tall them. bowlers as Tall well. Tall bowlers, yeah. and they you know they've got a few good quicks as well. Whereas sort of in India, you know it's turning and stuff, but they're normally pretty consistent. But like West Indies, you just never feel in actually at all. I, mean, yeah. I know a few Lions trips out there, and they're just seriously hard. But also, England, and no training facilities either. Yeah, England touring West Indies is always funny, and I'm falling into the trap of doing it again at the moment, where I'm going, well, England should beat West Indies. Yeah, England yeah. should beat West Indies because West Indies batting, and this is. This is, I think, a fair comment. West Indies batting is even worse than England's. West Indies batting is a bit like England's batting without Joe Root. Well, Jermaine Blackwood's still in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they, they are, they've got a worse batting lineup than England. But West Indi- England haven't won in the West Indies did forever. You know, did you know Shy Hope's Hall- got two centuries yeah, in England? It was at Headingley. Yeah, um, yeah they, 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 they have, England haven't won in the Windies forever because yeah. for a few reasons. The, 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 the things we're talking about, but also. You talk to Windies players and they would say that they raised their game against England, which might be becoming a bit of a cliche, but it does happen before our eyes each time. So that's going to be a really tough little tour. 
It's only three well, matches. If there's, a, if there's a booting culture, then good luck. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, the St. Lawrence Gap in Barbados? Yeah. 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 Nice one. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the point you made there about, uh, like I, I was talking about, you know, Alex Leeds is someone who's reportedly... Gonna, I'm pretty sure Alex Leeds will tour. Yeah, um, and I, I mentioned him to someone and, someone and they were like, well, he didn't do that well in the Lions game. And I was like, yeah, but it was one knock. And then I also thought, actually, yeah, what else do they have to go on? Yeah, there's, there's not very little cricket to go on. It's going to be another case of guesswork, but we don't even know who's going to be doing the guesswork. So it's, it's a strange of... situation. We were on that Lions tour to Australia and... Ball counts out. I mean, we didn't lose a game. We sort of dominated in the pink ball game. A lot of unbelievable, you know, Sibley, 100, Lawrence, 100, Craig Overton and Robinson, Wally Robinson yeah. were fantastic. You know, Bo Boba. <laughs> <laughs> Bessie was brilliant, you know, like, it's sort of, there was something you just thought, well, English cricket's in a really good spot here compared to Australia. And you think, our oh, depth is so much greater. And then, what is it, two years later, we're just yeah. completely and different. It's style. exactly the same. Two years ago, we did that South Africa tour. Um, and England were, they had a really good tour, they won three tests in a row, and then they had a pretty good home summer, and it felt, it did feel like there was something brewing there, and it has, but then, you know, I suppose, the, the, again, the, the mitigating factor of the pandemic and the amount of cricket they played in it, the pandemic hit, and a few months later, everything had gone tits up, I suppose. So, this would be a good thing to finish on, because we are taking up to an hour. Do you think it's our fault in the media what's happened? Do you think we've been too over the top or are too over the top in victories? For example, like South Africa, well, even at the time in South Africa, people were like, this South Africa aren't that good. This isn't the same South Africa that just turned over India. Yeah. No, but uh, well, I think you can only call what's in front of you. And England lost the first test of that series and then won three in a row. Yeah, but they, they, were, like, they were very players. sick in that first test, weren't they? They, they were very sickly, yeah. Um, but uh, look, South Africa weren't a dreadful side. They had Nokia bowling absolute rockets. Rabada was involved. They, they were Philander obviously in that first test. They, they weren't they weren't an awful side. And England won away from home, and they weren't they weren't habitually doing that. For a while yeah. before, so I don't, I don't I mean, think India that was... have just struggled to go over to South. Yeah, they just yeah, lost in South Africa. Place to go. Yeah, um, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's like a markedly better South Africa side. It's obviously a more experienced South Africa side, but they've lost to Cock, they've lost Faf. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I don't know. I think I think we just I think that was a I think that was a really good victory, and we called it as we saw it. But but but, but so I kind of also mean that when 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 they tell us things about planning for the Ashes and, and doing it well and really chuffed. And I'm only, I'm only asking this in hindsight, but do you think we could, because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm supposedly part of the problem, the question I'm framing here, but do you think we could have been more critical? Do you think in those moments we should be like, actually, is that true? Well, what we should have, I, I actually think this Ashes cycle build-up, um, it was the England structure led that narrative normally the media are obsessed with the ashes I actually think the media have tired of the ashes a little bit yeah in, right. I, I think there's a little bit of fatigue there I think well you were out there it sounded pretty yeah. <laughs> no but just generally in the, in the build up I, do, I think England I think the English media were like can you just worry about beating India please yeah. can you just worry about beating New Zealand can you stop talking about the ashes whereas they led that conversation talking about the ashes it was obviously that BBC podcast Project Ashes which um, was a great piece of work but actually has aged like milk um, so I, I think that was very much led by them and I think they can learn their lesson from that I hope they do but they don't need to kind of constantly blabber on about the ashes as if it's the only thing that matters because 
very clearly it's not. It's a if you have a good team who have won elsewhere and yeah. you turn up to Australia, like the ten eleven team, they they'd won a lot of cricket before then and they're a well hardened side, you've got a better chance of winning Australia than if you just focus on everything and winning Australia. But. Yeah. I suppose that's a good place to end it. Um well this has been fun, we should do it more often. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Sam, what are you up, what are you up to next? Where where do you go from here? Um, do I start pre-season Good Morgan? When do your games start? Love your pre-season well, games. I don't know. Some sometime you know in March when yeah when pitches are nice and juicy. Are you going away? Is there a bit of we we got a night a few days in North Wales, which is great. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that'd be good. Um, God knows what's going on in there. Duke um, of Edinburgh or yeah, no, it sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I never did my Duke of Edinburgh, actually, so... I did bronze, time. mate, easy. Yeah. Oh, right, Don't okay. get your Kendall mint cake. <laughs> <laughs> Will, potentially the Caribbean? Yeah, hopefully. We'll see. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we are definitely going to do more of these, he says, for the umpteenth time to lie to you again. <laughs> but thank you for joining us. If you... Uh, we, I, I suppose if you want to start a discussion around this, please feel free, and then we'll, we'll chime in as well. But that's kind of as we saw it, going through what's come out after pretty dispiriting 4-0... Series. We're not destroying county cricket, but we hope we've provided some solutions at least. Um, but yeah, like, comment and subscribe, tell your friends, and we'll see you soon. Why don't we say soon? <laughs> <laughs>